So I have to, this is, I have an announcement to make and I have to get situated here, but don't worry, this is one of the best announcements I'll probably ever give. So you should be excited because I'm very excited. Um, so this week we got a, an email from our bank and our treasurer, Rodney Souther, informing us that as of this week, our, our mortgage for this building has been paid off. So we can celebrate that. This is um, I, on I, September 22nd, I believe. We're actually going to have a more formal service and celebrating all that um, and telling some of the stories. This is a, a story of God working through you. You know, it's a story of God's faithfulness. It's a story of, you know, God calling us to give not just sacrificially, but God calling us to give creatively. You know, there's some people who did some amazing things, and we're going to share those stories. We're very, very pleased and happy and, and thankful to God that we've accomplished this leg of the journey. And again, one of the things we'll learn in our story this morning is that when God calls us to do, when God does his work, you know, he's humble enough to, to invite us alongside. So this is an accomplishment of God, but this is God using you. So thank you, praise God, and we're excited to be on this side of it. So yeah, let's give thanks to him for that. I feel like I should pray, so let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you that you're the God who provides. We thank you for this building, for how it's expanded our ministries, how it's expanded our reach. We thank you how it's allowed us to shine our light even brighter. We thank you for the families that have been impacted. We thank you for the people we've sent out, not just locally, but also globally. We thank you for the great work you're doing here and the chance to be a part of that work. God, we pray now as we um, focus on the, the story of Shifra and Pua, this morning. Help us to be reminded that you've called us to, to give life. You've called us to, to choose life and to bring life into this world. So God, we thank you for these two great women of faith. We pray that through learning their stories, or, or not just learning their stories, but we're able to put ourselves in these same shoes. For we live in a time that we have to step up and be your people who choose life. So God, bless us and help us now as we listen and hear from you. And we thank you again for this chance to to just glorify you for your goodness and your mercy and your gratefulness and your graciousness to us. Your holy and precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 6 to 22. One of the things I've enjoyed about this series is we've called it Faith Builders. And it's this reminder to us that our faith isn't just a one-time decision. Our faith is something that must be built. Our faith is also something that God calls us of every single day. Our faith is not something that's partial. Our faith is something that not only is it built, but God is always going to ask us for more. You know, our faith has to be whole. You know, every time as we go through this life, we can celebrate God's new mercies every morning, but we can also expect that in this life, we will have challenges, we will have struggles, we will have doubts, and that's why we need to trust God more, because as we go through these challenges, doubts, and hopes, our God's going to ask us, do you trust me? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me in this? But to help us build our faith, we can celebrate this morning. We've been blessed, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, to have the Holy Spirit living in us and transforming us into the Spirit of the Son. We have the body of Christ, which we said isn't just every Christian who believed. It's amazing because it's every Christian who's ever believed and every Christian who will believe until Jesus comes again. That's the body we're a part of. And then also we have Scripture in front of us and Jesus Christ before us. You know, as Annabelle we look at Jesus not just as our model, but he is indeed our Lord and Savior. He's the one we bow down to. 
Faith then for us has to be not just a, a product, but also this process. And, and that's why we're telling the stories of these women. The hope is that in hearing their stories, their witnesses, their testimony, we get to a point where whether or not we're on a hill or in a valley, whether or not we're in a desert or at a resting place, we hear their story, we hear their witness, and our faith grows. Amen? So if you want to follow along with me, I'll be starting in verse 6, and we'll be reading Exodus 1, 6 to 22. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor, in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. I love this because it just shows you how much as men we don't know anything, right? <laughs> so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. The Exodus story begins, and we have now transformed from the son of promise that God gives to Abraham to now a people of promise. The Exodus is this wonderful story that shows that our God hears, our God acts, and our God redeems. The Exodus opens with this family of Jacob who's now become Israel and these people who are now the Israelites. So if you're following along from Genesis to Exodus, we've gone from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rebekah to Jacob and Leah, Rachel, to now these people called the Israelites. But we've also gone from the innocence uh, and, and of, of Joseph being in power and being blessed by the Egyptian king and prosperity to oppression, to slavery. The oppressed in the Exodus is, is a wonderful story because it's not just a reminder that our God hears, that our God acts, that our God listens. You know, growing up, I was, I was privy to, to, to be in an African-American church. And one of the things I loved about the African-American church experience is I learned, you know, I, I grew up, I went to a, an African-American church, a Liberian church, and a Plymouth Brethren church, which is neither of those, right? Um, and in my Plymouth Brethren church, like, we love God, we focus on Jesus, but, but we really almost found our home in the epistles. Like, that's where we, Paul said it, we did it, right? That's kind of where we dwelt. But what I learned from the African-American church is that this Exodus story, they made their own. When they saw the people oppressed, 
they saw their own stories. When they saw people who were beaten and taken advantage of and people who were systematically killed and oppressed and marginalized, they saw their own. The African Americans relate to the Israelites, and I think they help us this morning because I think one of the things we have to do when we read some of these Bible stories is put ourselves in the story. Because the ministry and the testimony of Shipra and Pua is only made whole this morning if we're willing to put ourselves in their shoes and recognize that what God called them to do, God also caused us to do as well. So as we're reading through Exodus 1, we find out that the Israelites are now too numerous, that the problem for the Egyptians is that, you know, there's so many of them, you know, what if, what if an enemy comes, they'll join up and fight them? And again, the African-American experience helped us on this because that was how some of the laws were made in the South. You know, they would look at the African-Americans and be like, if they ever rebel, like this could be a problem for us. It was forced, it was unpaid labor. But again, the story of Exodus is God hears, God acts, God redeems. This is a wonderful reminder to us because as we go through this life, we will ask this question, God, what about oppression? God, what about suffering? God, what about people who are, are suffering above than they, any way they can handle it? And I think Exodus calls us, remind us that in that suffering, God hears. In those prayers, God's an act. And, and, and not only does God redeem, we have a God who may be the God of this universe, but he's humble enough to invite us to help do his work. And that's the story of Exodus, that God is humble enough to invite you in to bring redemption into this world. Exodus shows us that when we say, what about oppression and suffering? We can know that our God hears our groans. We can know that our God hears our prayers. We can know that our God redeems our suffering. We can cry out to God in faith. The psalmist said, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Or another psalmist who said, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. We have a God who hears. Yeah. But we have a God who wants to redeem and wants us to be agents of that redemption. What I love about Shipra and Pua this morning is they remind us that we are to choose life. I love these two. It's quite often we think about the Exodus. We might remember Yahweh God. We might remember the Israelites. We might remember Moses, the great redeemer that God chose and rose up. We might even do a little bit more digging and remember Miriam and Aaron or, or Moses' mother, Jochebed, or the Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him, or, or maybe Pharaoh himself. But how many times do we remember Shipra and Pua? Because they start in Exodus 1, and there's a good chance if they weren't willing to choose life, if they weren't faithful to what God called them to do, we would not have gotten Moses. And that's why the writer of Exodus starts with them, because their boldness in choosing life to look at the most powerful person in their universe, the king of all Egypt, and to say, I will choose life even though you command me to kill. Their boldness opens the door for God to tell us that every single choice you make matters and the choice you make might last for eternity. I don't think Shepherd and Pua knew Moses was coming, but they knew their God was on the way. Amen? Amen. The second thing about Shepherd and Pua that I love is that even though we might not know them before this morning, hopefully we won't forget them after this day, 
I think their testimony has something to say to us even now. But what do we know about these women? The first thing I think we know is that they had authority. As you're reading through Exodus 1, what we know for sure is that, you know, Joseph's sons and their children and grandchildren, Joseph's generation has died. The Israelites are now a people. We don't know how many people there were, but it was enough for the Egyptians to be afraid that they would rise up against them. It was enough for them to build two cities. You know, again, the African-American experience, right? Some of us feel like we helped build America. We got nothing to show for it, right? We relate to this. But when you look at these Shipra and Pua, what we must remember is that they had authority. You know how we know they have authority? Because out of all the Israelites, the king himself went to them. First thing we know about them. The second one we know about them is that they had to have acumen. Now, If they're having all these children and they're spreading and becoming this big amount of people, there's a good chance that two midwives aren't birthing every single Israelite baby. But the fact that they are the ones that the king goes to shows that they have authority, they have acumen, which means they're really good at what they're doing, but it also means that they have reach. And what I mean by reach is that the king trusted that if he gave the directions to these two women, everyone else would follow. And I love that. Because it's a reminder to us that no matter how big or small we think our lives is, all of us are going to be given some kind of authority, some kind of acumen, some kind of reach. And if Shepherd and Pua were willing to be faithful and to choose life, can we not do the same? The thing I love about them, though, is they had great faith. They had faith in God and not their situation. You have to remember their situation. The Israelites are in slavery. The Israelites are in forced labor. The Israelites are building cities and making brick and mortar in the desert. I don't even like to sweat, much less making brick by hand in the desert. Years ago, we went to Costa Rica, and we had to to build a foundation. I was super excited until I realized that I'm American. We we like power tools, you know? And they're like, no, no, you got to make the concrete by hand. I was just like, what is this madness? What is wrong with these people, you know? But we got there. We got the shovel. We were mixing. And we did that for maybe four days. This is a generation doing it with even more prehistoric shovels at best. This is the situation they're in that their people are under oppression and slavery, and their people are dying daily. This is their situation. The law of the land also tells them that they should kill babies. I want you to understand that. That's the law of the land. Even deeper than the law of the land, the king of the land has come to them face to face and told them, if it's a boy, I want you to kill them. This is their situation they're in, yet they still choose life. And the reason they choose life is because they didn't have faith maybe in the situation that's happening, but they had faith in their God. And here's the other thing about the faith in their God. They feared God more than they feared the king. I think we've dressed up fear of God to mean respect or reverence. But when you look through the scripture, when it says fear of God, people were duly terrified. Now, I don't think I'm saying, I don't think we should not have reverence or great respect for God. But I grew up a little bit different than some of you. And when I tell you I had a fear of God in me, when my grandmom came home, I had the fear of God in me. It's a little different. I think for so many of us, we don't realize 
that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing. But more than that, God is going to hold each of us accountable, that we are going to stand before him one day and give account of the life we lived, the choices we made, the choices we didn't make. We are going to stand before God. And when we stand before him, you can say, God, I have a reverent fear of you. I respect you. But God will say, did you follow me? Did you submit to me? Did you choose life? The fear of God for Shipra and Pua was a fear in doing something that was unpleasing to God. It was a fear of bowing down to the king, but not the king of all kings. And I think that's what I love about these women. Not only did they have faith in God, they knew the law of the land. They knew what the king said, but they knew God and Yahweh alone was who they were willing to bow down to. And I think that's a great message for us this morning. Because here's the thing, in our culture, in our America, we're very good at choosing death. But we like to wrap it up. We call it choice. We call it freedom. We call it liberty. We call it me and mine. But are we willing to choose life? Because here's the thing, if we follow God and we choose life, Shepherd and Pua teach us that we will bless the world. Again, the king of all Egypt has commanded them to kill, yet they choose life. This king of his Egypt, he's powerful. He's maybe the most powerful person in the world at the time. He's an oppressor. He's an enslaver. He could command death to them, yet they choose life. They choose life because they said, God, Yahweh, God, the God of my father Jacob is the God I serve. So even though the king of Egypt is an oppressor, they have faith in a God who sets the captives free. Even though the king of Egypt can command death and even their own death, they choose to submit to a God who gives life and life more abundantly. And I love this, that the king calls them in front of them. The king summons them, and he, he gets them right there, and he looks them in the eye and says, what are you doing? Did I not command you to kill these baby boys? And I love it because they're not just sheep before the wolf. They're shrewd. You know, they're shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And, and, and you can look at the text, you know. I think they deceived the king. I think they looked him in the eye and said, hey, man, when we get there, these women, the Israelite women, it just happens too quick before we can do that. I don't think that's the case. And I don't think you could even say it's right what they did. But I think for them, it was more right to deceive the king of Egypt than to kill the sons of Israel. I think for them, it was more right to submit to God and choose to be honoring God than to listen to the word of this king. I think for them, choosing life mattered most. And this is why I love Shipra and Pua, because this morning, they're faith builders for us. We look at their story, and we can say, here's two women who loved God and lived to honor God. How many of us would love that to be our testimony? If everywhere we go, everyone we interact with at the workplace, in our schools, everyone that knows us, when they look at us, they said, she loved God. And she lived to honor him. 
I think that's the challenge of Shipra and Pua this morning that all of us can step up and not just choose life, but that when we're choosing life, people look at us and say, they love God and they live to honor him. They chose life over death and they call us to do the same. And I think this is a message that we must hear because we live in a world of death and destruction all around us. Shepherd and Pua call us like all these women we've studied, from Sarah to Hagar, from Rebecca to now Shepherd and Pua. They call us to trust God and to trust God fully. How much do you need to trust God? Enough will never be the answer because every new day you're going to have to trust him more. Because here's the thing, we're either growing in our faith and trust with God or we're walking away from God. Now, a lot of us think like, I'll just figure it out. I'm just going to take a break. You know, I'm going to take a break and, and maybe in a couple of weeks when I get everything together, then I'll start trusting God more. But here's the thing about taking a break. You're either growing and getting closer to God or you're walking away from God. That's it. There's no in-between. You're either growing in trust, in faith, in obedience to God, or you're not. And if you're not, that means you're walking away from faith and trust and obedience to God. That's the entire diagram. That's it. Either I'm walking closer to God or I'm not. And Shepherd and Pua command us to do the same. Like all these women of faith, are we willing to trust God? But are we willing to trust God fully? Because there's some of us, there's things that it's easy to trust God on. It might be easy to trust God in your health or your children or, or even your faith. But where are the areas that you need to trust God more on? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your faith. Are you willing to trust God and to trust him fully? The second command of Shepherd and Puha for us this morning is that we have to honor God and commit to valuing all life. As a brethren in Christ, we put it this way. We value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution to conflict. Ron Sider, who grew up in a brethren in Christ church and still an Anabaptist, says we have to be a people who are willing to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. And this is a message we have to hear this morning because if we commit to valuing all life, we will be really bad Republicans. We will be really bad Democrats. We will be really bad libertarians or independents or whatever you want to call yourself. But you'll also be really bad Americans. And you might even be really bad family members because you're going to have conversations that no one wants to have but everyone needs to hear. Because if you value all life, you're trying to honor your King Jesus Christ. And if you value all life, you may not fit into all those boxes, but your God will look down and say, well done, my faithful daughter. Well done, my faithful son. And we have to value all life because we live in a world of abortion. We live in a world of childhood hunger. We live in a world where thousands die yearly, monthly, daily, because they don't have access to clean water. We live in a world where children are still dying because they don't have access to medicine and they're dying of curable diseases. We live in a world of environmental degradation that right now is ruining lives and killing people, our sisters and brothers, the world over because of choices we're making over here. We live in a world 
of racism. We live in a world where, where we think that killing people, to say that killing people is wrong, is okay. We live in a world where capital punishment is still happening. We live in a world of war. We live in these United States where euthanasia is now possible in six to eight states. We live in a world where people daily are choosing death over life. And if you are going to say you follow Jesus Christ and God is your king, you have to be the few who are willing to value all human life from the womb to the tomb. If you are going to be pro-life, welcome to the team. But are you willing to be pro-life on abortion? on childhood hunger, on kids dying for lack of clean water or diseases, on environmental degradation, on racism, on capital punishment, on war, on euthanasia. And these are just the top 10 I came up with. Are you willing to value all human life? Because here's the thing. When we value all human life, we bless the world. And this is the message we have had from the beginning. You know, a lot of people don't realize the impact that Constantine had on the church. Because for the first two to three hundred years, Christians valued all human life. Abortion isn't new. The early church rejected it. Infanticide isn't new. The early church rejected it. People dying from curable diseases isn't new. The early church ran to them and comforted them and built hospitals for God to help the people. You know, Ron Sider, in an article, he quotes a couple of early Christians. Lactantius, in his Divine Institute, said it this way, killing a human being is always wrong because it's God's will for man to be a sacred creature. Tertullia, my African brother, put it this way. In our case, murder being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb. The apostolic tradition, which is a collection of early Christian writers in the second and third century, they said if you have power of the sword or you lead a government and you have the power to stop people from being executed and you do not, you do not belong to the faith. Up until the time of Constantine, there is not one single Christian writer known to us who says it's legitimate for Christians to kill. Not one. This life position of valuing all life is something that we've always been called to do. It's something that Shepra and Pua did thousands of years ago in the face of death. How much are we willing to do the same? Because if we value all human life, we will look at the early church as an example. We will look at them and say, we can bring life into this situation. Because here's the thing. If we are willing to value all human life, we will change the world. We will change the world. This world we live in is a world of darkness, of destruction, of death. But your God has called you to bring life. And what we have to do is answer this question, how am I bringing life? And we have to be willing to answer this question on a macro level and a micro level. There's a young man, Ryan Gephardt, who grew up in this church. 
And I remember when he was applying for, for law school. I remember being like, well, good, you're going to be a lawyer. We got tons of those around here, but maybe you'll be a rich one, you know? You can take care of your parents and then give me a little something. It'll be good. Everyone wins, right? Yeah. I remember asking him about law school. I was like, so what are you going to do with this law degree? I remember what he said literally arrested my spirit and stopped me dead in my tracks. He says, I want to end the death penalty. And it made me realize how cynical I had begotten. I believe that killing is wrong, but I had stopped dreaming that this was even possible. I started thinking of all the different ways he's going to fail and why this isn't good. And then God just said to me, if we lose our dreams, if we lose our fight for what's right, can we truly be faithful to him? And I love that young man. I pray for him every day because that's what we need. We need a fresh thinking when it comes to life in this country. We need to raise up generations of people who are not scared to dream, who are not scared to say, I believe killing is wrong. We have to do it because this is what God calls us to do. And we got to think about it on a macro level. There's some of us in this building that some of these things I've listed is going to tug and pull your spirit. Well, welcome to the team because whatever pulls your heart this morning, God is calling you to help him redeem. So maybe it's kids who are suffering. Maybe it's kids who just need clean water. Maybe it is abortion. Maybe it's a death penalty. Maybe it's war. Maybe it's us being comfortable calling people aliens and immigrants when they're made in the image of God. Whatever it is that God is calling you, you have to be willing to dream and to trust him. Because when you dream and you trust him, there's nothing too big. I believe we sang this morning, with God all things are possible. We have to dream, because if we don't dream and we don't bring life into this world, who will? You have to choose life. You have to choose life. You know, as Anabaptists, we fought, and by fighting, we died, so that people can have a choice of what they believed. We went to the, the Protestants, we went to the Catholics, and we said, we don't think government should be combined with the church. We think the government will always do what's best for the government, and the church should always do what's best for God and his kingdom. And they killed us for it. And now thousands of years later, here in the West, we think we invented the idea of freedom of religion. It was our sisters and brothers who died for that choice and that freedom. And I bring that up because they were willing to die to choose life, to give you life. Are we willing to do the same? Because Shepra and Pua looked at the king of Egypt in the eye and still chose to follow God. And we might know the laws of our land. We might know what it says is okay in America. We might know what it says in our world. But are we willing to choose God as our king, and to follow him. Choose life, and you will bless the world. And I think maybe the best part about choosing life is simply this. You will please God, our Father. God didn't just send Jesus to bring us and give us eternal life. He sent us so that we can have life more abundantly. But more than that, if you're on this side of heaven, if you're still breathing this air with me, you've got work to do. And just like Shipra and Pua, God has given you authority. God has given you acumen. God has given you reach. And God has given you this call. 
So the question for you becomes, in my everyday scenes, in the people I'm walking with, in the people I'm working with, in my schools, in my workplaces, in my neighborhood, how am I bringing life? Because if we live in a world of death and destruction, it means that we're living among people who are broken. It means we're living around people who are struggling. It means we're living among people who are being oppressed. It means we're living upon people where death seems like a release and a relief. It means that God needs us to go to the broken and say, let God make you whole. To go to the oppressed and say, let God set you free. To go to those who would rather choose death to say, God has given you this breath. And with the breath in my lungs, I'm going to call you and raise you up to life. The joy of the resurrection is that Jesus is alive. But the joy of the resurrection is the same power that lived and raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now lives in us. So to death and destruction of our world, we must choose life. To the death and destruction of our world, we must bring life. To the death and destruction of the people all around us, we must give them the life of Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite up Pastor Esty and the worship team. We're going to close by singing a song, Broken Vessels, Amazing Grace. And I love the chorus of this song because it talks about seeing the love of God in Jesus' eyes. And I love this because when I was younger... I was reading through the Gospels, and I always was struck about the difference of Peter and Judas. They both betrayed Jesus. They both betrayed Jesus for their own safety or or what they thought was right. I always wonder why Peter ended up different. And then I got to that one verse in the Gospels where Peter looks up at the cross. And you talk about fear of God. Imagine betraying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Imagine you running away, has him on the cross dying for your sins. Imagine looking up at him and feeling that fear of God. But I love that God's love is probably what Peter saw. Because when you see the transformation in Peter, it begins that even on the cross, Jesus not only forgave him, but Jesus restored him. So as we sing this morning, I'd like to invite up the intercessors. We'd love to pray for you for everything's going on. And we, you know, maybe you're dreaming of a way to bring life into your world. We'd love to pray for that. Or maybe you got something else going on that you need life poured into you. We'll pray for that too. But as we sing this song, I want us to be reminded that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter what death and destruction is all around us, that love of God is powerful enough to bring healing to our world. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and sing together.